Today, I'd like to start us on a journey for a little while to look at um, forgiveness, uh, apologies, uh, restoration, uh, rebuilding trust, all these different things. Um, I really believe that this will help us be strengthened. I think it'll bring unity to our church. I think it'll bring glory to God when we get forgiveness right. And I, I just believe that we need to do a better job at getting forgiveness right. And um, this was on my heart last year. It's been sitting with me for a while. Last year, I went to a, uh, a charity event. It was with Starkey Hearing. Uh, Brady Forsyth, he used to work for them, and he invited me to be his guest. I went to that charity event. Um, got to meet all sorts of celebrities, and as I'm walking around before the event, they had an auction, and they have this auction, and they have um, guitars that are signed by famous musicians. They have artwork there that's famous. They have things signed by presidents and, and all these different athletes, and there's all sorts of things that are there that you could purchase for the auction, and one of the things that catches my eye is baseball. There's a baseball there, and I love baseball, but this baseball was a little different. It catches my eye, and so I bid on it, and I actually was able to win the bid for this, for the charity auction, and I bid on it. And for those of you uh, that are here, you can see this. Those of you that are watching, I just maybe can't get a good look at this. I bid on a baseball um, from Pete Rose. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, I'm sorry I bet on baseball, Pete Rose, okay? I think they have a picture. They can show you a close-up of it. I'm sorry I bet on baseball, Pete Rose. And, and I got that, and, I, and, as, I, and I, as I made the bid on it, I just felt like I, I'm getting this download of, of apologizing and being sorry and being forgiven and being banished and all these different things. And so I'm like, I, I thought, I want to do a, a sermon series on forgiveness, being sorry, apologizing, and then I, I, I want to display this in my office to remind me to give forgiveness and to be better at apologies. But if you don't know who Pete Rose is... Um, he was in Major League Baseball. He's number one in the career at bats. No one else has ever been up to bat more times than him. No one else has had more hits than him. He's number one in hits. He's number one in outs. So he has number one in hits and number one in outs. He's number one in games played. He's number one in most wins. He was a seven time, 17 times all-star. He was a three-time batting champ, which means he hit the ball and, and was on base more than anyone else in baseball for three years out of those years. And it goes on and on. He has all sorts of records that he holds. And he's banned from baseball. He's banned from baseball. He's banned from the Hall of Fame. And here he is. He's the number one, number one, number one, number one. And he's banned because of what he wrote on that baseball. He said, I'm sorry that I bet on baseball. He bet on baseball. Now, he originally said that he didn't do it. When they questioned him, they said, did you bet on baseball? He's like, no, I didn't. They're like, are you sure? And he's, he said, I did not do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. In 89, he makes a deal with the league commissioner, and he says, you know, you won't say that I did or didn't do it, and, and we'll, I'll just be banned for life. Okay, so he makes a deal, and then he tries to get back in, and, and he, he can't get in. He's been banned, and he's banned for life because Rule 21 in baseball, of the many rules, Rule 21 says anyone that bets on baseball or puts a wager on baseball that's an umpire, coach, a, a player, an employee, all right, is banned from baseball for life. Now, he's in his 70s, and he's exiled. There's really no hope back. And I was thinking about this. Maybe after he dies, he'll get into the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but he's banned. And I, I, can I just stop for a moment? Um, He's banned from baseball, but some people here might think that you're banned for life from God. Can I tell you, you're not banned for life from God, all right? 
God, God loves you. And, and Jesus said this, he said, those, whoever those the father has given me will come to me. I will never reject them. Like you're not banned. Like if you come to him, he will not reject you. He will accept you. If you apologize, he will do that. Now, uh, P. Rose said he was sorry. That was a good start, but it doesn't say forgive me on the baseball. I was thinking about things it doesn't say. It doesn't say forgive me. You know, it doesn't say, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I mean, he said, I'm sorry. And he didn't go all the way with an apology. He didn't go all the way with the forgiveness. He didn't go all the way beyond sorry. And I think this is a church, we better get this right. We better go way beyond sorry. How many of you I can just say sorry and not really mean it? Come on, you had brothers and sisters, did you not? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can say the right words and not mean it, all right? But there's something that goes way beyond sorry. But we need to work on forgiveness. So for a couple of weeks, I don't know how long we'll do this, but we'll look at this because I believe forgiveness and apologies, restoration, trust, all these things that we need to do, uh, restoring this trust. I, I believe it's something that's so important to the church. And when I look at the Bible, I just see God the Father being so forgiving, so loving, so kind. It's just full of it that, that he's just so much giving forgiveness and doing this. I mean, you think about this. When we pray, Jesus even taught us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay? He's saying there's something about forgiving, and we better get this right. And so um, I, I want to look at this. Now, as you look at the Bible, um, I thought about baseballs that people would sign. I know that my mind was just working that way. I was in a baseball thought. And, um, and I look at the Bible, and I see there's people that are... Um, needing forgiveness and doing horrible with apologies. And, and if they were to sign their baseball, they might do something like this. Like Adam and Eve in Genesis, how many know that they sin and they disobey God and they are, I mean, God confronts them like you've done wrong. And what do they say? Adam says, hey, the woman you gave me, her, right? Not my fault. And so I, I think that if, if Adam and Eve had a baseball, they would take their baseball and uh, they would grab it and they would sign it. And uh, well, I don't have time to sign it. I'm just going to, but they would take it and they would just be like, not my fault. Because Eve says, you know what? The serpent, you know, that was there, not my fault. You know, you put him in here and they, and so it's like, how many know that's a horrible apology? How many know, and, and actually it's interesting, we could almost write this on the baseball, the first banning ever. How many know, like, you're out, you're out of the garden, you're banned, okay? And there's an angel that's going to guard it with a fiery sword, and you're not getting back in, all right? Somebody on the front row, you're getting the baseball, all right? We're not in 3D, so those at the other campuses, you're not, you know, yeah, all right. But I thought about, too, like, you think about um, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel. We don't go that much further in the Bible, in Genesis, and all of a sudden Cain kills his brother Abel. And if he was to sign a baseball and put it out there, I think Cain, in the way I read the story, his, his, he kills his brother because he's jealous, and God confronts him. And I kind of feel like Cain would sign when they would say, not sorry. Right? It's almost like, nobody wants that baseball. All right, <laughs> get that one out of here. You get the point. You get the point. There's all these different things that are going on. And he's, and he's, and he's saying, I'm sorry, not sorry. He's saying it. Uh, and he's just, there's all these people that are, you look at the stories over and over again. You have a, a brother that is saying, someday you'll all bow down to me. And he's got these visions and dreams. And Joseph has got the uh, coat 
probably way cooler than this even. And he's got this amazing coat. And he's like, his dad says he's the favorite and all this. And, he's, and, and, and his brothers sell him into slavery. And then they go and lie to their dad. And then if you know the story, later on they find out that he's alive and he actually is really powerful in Egypt. And he forces them to tell their dad that they lied to him, that their brother's really alive and they sold him into slavery. And it's just an amazing story. And if ever there was a brother that could gloat, how many know Joseph could have gloated? Like, I so got you guys, you know, I so got you guys. They were so worried about it that when their dad dies, because they're thinking the only reason our brother doesn't take revenge on us, he says that he's forgiven us, but we can't believe that he's forgiven us because dad's alive. And how many know, thank God for dad, the referee, dad, the referee is alive. And he's saying that dad dies. And then they're like, Hey, Hey, in Genesis 50, they said, so they sent this message to Joseph in verse 16, before our father died, um, he told us you did some cruel and terrible things to Joseph, but you must ask him to forgive you. Now we ask you to please forgive the terrible things we did. After all, we serve the same God that your father worshiped. When Joseph heard this, he started crying. That's interesting. You know why? Because he had already forgiven them. He had already forgiven them. And I remember hearing a sermon years ago, the sin that makes God cry is not realizing that he's forgiven you. When you ask for forgiveness and you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, I've forgiven you. I can't believe it. I can't. It's like, he knows what you've done and he's forgiven you. And Joseph's like, he's crying. He's like, he's like I've forgiven you. What you meant for bad, God somehow turned around and turned it into good, and I forgive you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you live. And the Bible says, like, and, and this made them feel very glad. Amen. Yes. Okay, but we could go on and on and on, not just Old Testament examples. Jesus taught on forgiveness. He said those that were forgiven much will love much. He also told us that we're going to look at next week. How many times do I have to forgive somebody that offends me? Because we're going to talk about the hard work of forgiving the people that have offended you. And he said, not seven times or 70 times, 70 times seven, like unlimited forgiveness per day. He utters to the thief on the cross that he's forgiven because he asked for it and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus says this while he's on the cross about forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Doesn't stop there. The New Testament is just full of God's forgiveness, forgiving others, and, and mediation, and get these two to stop fighting. And there's all sorts, it's like, come on, we've got to forgive. Why? Because it brings unity. Why? Because it's what God wants us to do. Why? Because it reflects who he is, because we have a, a forgiving, loving God. And if we've been forgiven so much, we should forgive others. Okay, and then as you look through the Bible, and I, I kind of want to focus on the apology today. I want to focus on the apology because I don't think we do a very good job with apologies. So I wanted to start with that. And I, I couldn't help but have this verse jump out as I was reading through the Bible and looking for verses that deal with forgiveness. And I saw this in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. There was a situation that happened with a guy in the church and they disciplined him. Paul was harsh and, and he says this. He says, now I'm, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 
And so I just want to talk to us about this for just a moment, that there's something that we do so many things that we can be sad for. We can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I did wrong. And we could even, uh, you know, have worldly or godly sorrow. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Worldly sorrow, so let me just explain it. Worldly sorrow says, I'm sorry that I got caught. How many of us sometimes did you catch somebody doing it wrong and you're like, oh, they're just sad they got caught, Right. You know, and you, the worldly sorrow says, I'm sorry I got caught. Worldly sorrow is like resentful that they got caught. Worldly sorrow is like, if I knew I could get away with this, I would do it again. That's worldly sorrow. And he's saying, that's just leading to death. You're just playing the story card and you're not really meaning it. It's a worldly sorrow and you may not like the punishment. So because you don't like the punishment, you're saying that you're sorry. And you can't have repentance without being sorry for your sin without having that sorrow. And repentance means to change one's mind, but it also means more than that. It means to turn from. It says, I don't want that anymore. It says, what I used to love, I now hate. And what I used to hate, I now love. I'm changing my mind. I'm doing something different. And worldly sorrow, again, it just says, I'm sad I got caught. I still want it. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. And we want godly sorrow. We want people to understand that we do wrong, all of us, and I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to all of us, myself included. We know that we all do wrong. And then we want that godly sorrow to lead us to repentance so that we'll change our minds, so that we'll change our behavior, so that we'll want to like the things that God likes and love the things that God loves and hate the things that he hates. And we want to live differently. We want this godly sorrow that sees the wrong that we did and doesn't just hate the consequences, but hates the act. And then we want this godly sorrow that is like, what do I need to do to make this right? What do I, I mean, I know you've forgiven me, but now, like, what can I do to show you that I really, really am sorry for what I did? The Bible says that this type of sorrow leads to salvation. This leads to forgiveness. See, because the, the Bible tells us that God forgives us when we repent. When we repent of our sins and ask him for forgiveness... Um, he says that he will forgive us of our sins. And it's, it's never too late to apologize, no matter what one republic says. It's never too late, all right? <laughs> so let's look at the, a, a better apology that will lead to unity. What, let's look at what would be different between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Let's look at the difference between a worldly apology or a wrong, a bad apology, and a godly apology. Because we, we want to say we're sorry, but we want to do this. And again, how many know we do this so bad? I mean, I know I said how many have brothers and sisters, but how many know we just, it's so, like, say you're sorry. Say you're sorry to your brother. And I can tell you, I remember, sorry. Yeah. Say it like you mean it. Really sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, you got to say it better. Like, say sorry that I hurt you. And then I'm sorry if that hurt you. No, no. <laughs> Not if it hurt him, say you're sorry, you hurt. How many know, and after a while, you just like press mom and dad. And if you don't watch it, how many know that if you don't correct this when kids are young, how many know they could start to use sorry as a manipulation tool? Bam, sorry, bam, sorry, bam. You know, stop hitting your sister. I'm saying sorry, you know, and, you know. So we've got to get this uh, apology right. We've got to do this better. And I, I got to say this, and I, I won't point out any political parties, but I'll just say, watching the news lately, it's just been 
back and, I mean, it's been over and over again. Sorry, not sorry, didn't do it, wasn't me, couldn't, it's the way it is, you know, that's the way I'm wired, I'm Irish. I mean, it's just like, I don't get this. We're horrible at apologies, and I believe we've got to get this right. There's actually a website out there called Sorry Watch. It's actually a website called Sorry Watch, and I'm not, I, I haven't looked into it a lot. I just glanced at it when I saw it in my studies. And it says this, there's a lot of awful apologies out there, apologies that make things worse, not better. Apologies that are worse than the original offense, apologies so bad people should apologize for the apology. All right, you know. So what are some bad apologies? What are some things that we do? Well, we say the word if, like I said. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm telling you what, that we've got to drop that. I'm sorry that I hurt you. Okay? I, I've watched people try to reconcile and referee as pastor and, 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 and like, please, please apologize for the, I'm sorry if that offended you. No, no, no. I'm sorry that that offended you. Uh, uh, come on. Let's get rid of the word if and it makes it a bad apology if you're using the word if. I'm sorry, but how many know that we start to blame shift and we have bad apologies and we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we, so we apologize, I'm sorry, but, and then we give all sorts of excuses. I haven't had any sleep. I've been working really hard. My car broke down. It's minus 26, which feels like minus 53. And um, I haven't had my coffee. And by the way, I was raised that way. Okay, let's stop making the excuses. It sounds like Adam and Eve. It, it, so if they did it, we do Like she did. And she's like, no, serpent. Okay? We can't blame shift and push it around and say, shift the blame over there and say it's their fault. Ben Franklin said this, don't end a good apology with an excuse. I like that. So let's stop doing that. Another thing that is, makes a bad apology is when we demand forgiveness. I know I did wrong, but you have to forgive me. Like we caught them on a technicality. Another thing that makes a bad apology is that we don't accept the responsibility or the consequences. We say, well, why should I have to pay for that? Why should I have to do that? Why should I have to restore this? Why should I have to rebuild trust? Why should I have to do that? And you start to get defensive. If you're being defensive, that's a bad apology. I don't believe God wants us to have bad apologies. I believe he wants to have good apologies. So let me look at good apologies. When you have a good apology, and we'll go to Psalm 51. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And we're going to look at a very good apology by David, okay? But I'll give you a couple things about a good apology. A good apology shows your remorse. It shows the distress from the guilt. It shows that you understand that you truly are sorry, that there's some remorse there. There's distress, like you understand what you did. Another thing that makes it a good apology is that you acknowledge the hurt that you caused and you take the responsibility. I did it. I did it. I'm sorry for this that I did to you. I'm sorry. And you're able to do that. Another thing that makes an apology a good apology is you accept the consequences and you make amends. You accept the consequences and you make amends. And then another one that makes it good is you work at reconciliation and you work at rebuilding trust and establishing trust. And then the other thing that makes it a good apology is it changes your future behavior. 
You start doing something different. And so when I look at the apologies that are there, and I could have chosen the prodigal son when he comes back in Luke 15, and, and he has a wonderful apology that's there. But I thought even better than that was Psalm 51, where David gives a, a great apology. And I'm going to read this to you. It's rather lengthy, but I think it's so important for you to just see this apology that he has to God for what he's done. Now, for those of you that don't know, in Psalm 51, this is David pouring his heart out to God because he has actually committed adultery with another woman. So he's, had a, he's committed adultery. He had her husband murdered to cover this up. And the Bible tells us that he was pointed out by a prophet who, who uses a, a great story to get David to get enraged, like, that guy should be in trouble. And Nathan, the prophet, is like, you're the guy. And in that moment, David realizes this and he apologizes. He, he says he's sorry. He repents. And he has this outpouring. And it's beautiful that it's recorded for us. In Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach the transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. Guy's just pouring out his heart. Pouring out his heart before God. He's, he's apologizing. He's more than sorry. You can feel there's so much that's in there. And he's saying this. He's saying, I admit that I'm wrong. In verses 1 through 4, he's like, I'm wrong. I did it. It's a good apology. I'm wrong. I did it. I own up to this. Yes, God, I did it. And can I say this to some people? Some people feel like that's a badge of honor and they stop right there. Yeah, I did it. And I'm like, and so I did it. I admitted that I did it. I, that's the type of person I am. I just admit. I'm like, and I've had some people like that. Well, don't you like that I admit? I'm like, right but we want to move forward from admitting it, right? And that's a good start, but we want to keep moving forward. He admitted he was wrong. And then he recognizes that, he's, that he lied. And in verse six, he, he, he's, he's getting, he, he's starting to get specific. He's like, hey, I knew it from the womb and you taught me and I know this is wrong. And he's like, I, I have lied. I've lied. And he claims responsibility. Like, me, I did it. I did. It. I claim the responsibility. I know the, the problems that I did. I know that I, what I caused. And then in verse 16 and 17, he, he, he makes a promise. 
And he says, like, here's what I want to do. And it's things that he wants to do, and he's not just making empty promises, like, "Ah, I'm never going to keep those. He legitimately is saying, I'm making promises to you, God, that I want to keep. And we could use this with God, and we could use this with people. I'm making promises with you that I intend to keep. And can I say this real quick? Men and women are very different on this. Men, when when we sin against our wife, when we lie or do something that violates trust, we can be sincere. We're like, I'm sorry, I'm changing, and I'll prove, we're good, we're good. And and your wife is like, show me the money. You know what I mean? They're like, show me the, the truth. Show me the track record. And we're like, I told you, and I meant it, and I'm good, right? And yes, you can be forgiven, but you restore trust over time, okay? So he's, he's making this promise, and he intends to keep it. His apology was emotional and profound. And I'm not saying that your apology needs to be emotional and profound, but I'm saying that it tends to be an indicator that something's really happening in here. When it's emotional, when it's profound. I was like, yeah, sorry, yeah, and I admit it, I did it. You know, versus something that's happening that's emotional. He asked God, he asked God to repair and restore the damage that's been done. He's like, Restore me, repair the damage, please God, please, please. And he promises, I will change my future behavior. Like, I I want the strength to do this. I want to follow you in this way. It's a beautiful, beautiful apology. And I think we would do well by learning from this and saying, God, help us to apologize to the people around us, to you and to others in this way, instead of using if and but, instead of making excuses, instead of trying to say other people are worse or blaming it on heritage and saying, God, these are the things that I desire. And for some of us, it's like, you already know people that you need to apologize to. Another thing about uh, apologies, as I am just reminded of this, and I can tell you this, when, when I would realize that I was wrong in our marriage with Becca, you know, I'd and, and I would realize, like, it's my fault. Like, this fight we're having right now, it's our fault. My fault. Not our fault. My fault. Okay? And I was thinking, because I'm an arguer and because I like to speak a lot and because I didn't want to take all the blame, I was like, I'm going to try to figure out how to get out of this 51-49, her fault, and um, at worst, 50-50, and I ain't going a, a, a percentage point past that. And I would argue to get to... 50-50, and, and, and I was totally convicted, but I was trying to, and, and, and finally, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, stop trying to be 50-50. Own up to what you did. Own up to what you did. Stop trying to win, reconcile, apologize, ask for forgiveness, be real about this. Stop trying to win, be right with her, and be right with me. Well, then I started to do this. I'd, I'd, we'd be fighting, and I'd feel convicted, and I'd be like, it is my fault. It's totally my fault. And she would say, too soon. Like, <laughs> we need to debate this a little longer. It needs to settle on you a little longer so you understand fully what you did, you know? And I'm like, totally, God has already convicted me. I'm good. And she's like, oh, no, just sit there and listen. All right. It's probably not a good apology either when you're like, okay, let's move on, move on, move it on. I said it, let's move on. You need to let the person process it and make sure that when you're done with the apology, there's nothing that would hinder your hug. I think you know that you've truly done a good apology when there's nothing that hinders that hug, okay? I thank God that when we confess, he forgives. I think that I said that earlier. 
that when we confess, and your apology doesn't need to be flavored with amazing words to God, when it comes from the heart, when it comes from the heart, when it's real, when it's genuine. The Bible says if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I thank God for the godly sorrow that leads to the repentance. I pray that we truly would say, I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I don't want to have that anymore. God, change my mind, change my direction, change my desires. I desire to live for you. I thank God that he forgives our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. That's what Psalm 103, 12 talks about. And I just pray that we'd be better at apologizing to the people around us. Parents, if I could say this, it'll go a long way when you even apologize to your kids instead of pretending that you're perfect. But you say, you know what? Dad made a mistake. Mom and dad made a mistake. We apologize. We are very sorry. And we're going to change this. It goes a long way. I pray that we'll be better at apologizing. And from that, we'll be better at forgiving. We'll be better at receiving and giving forgiveness. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. And I want us to be sorry, but I don't want us to stop there. I want us to ask for forgiveness, truly mean it, change our behavior, and then give forgiveness to those people that need it. So God, I'm just praying right now that you would help us with this, that we would realize there's something about apologizing. There's something about that godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to life. Each of us knows that we come short. Each of us knows that we let people down. Each of us knows the things that we do. And I pray, God, that you just convict us even now. Maybe we need to go to somebody and apologize better. Maybe we need to just own up to those things. Stop trying to win and apologize better. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this moment now at all of our campuses, people would apologize to you for the sins that they've done that have separated them from your love. That right now they would ask for forgiveness of their sins. And they would say, God, I don't want that to separate anymore. I'm praying for just a moment that we'd have to look inside, we'd apologize, we'd ask for forgiveness, and then realize you forgive us. I'm praying this now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.